Hello and welcome to Shades and Layers. This is episode three of season three. And this week, we are all about being ghetto fabulous with one of my favorite artists from South Africa, Rendani Namakavani, better known as President Honey. To say that I love her work would be an understatement. It's not only the images that she creates that I find striking, but the way in which they are presented. And also her why not spirit is infectious. She approaches life and work with curiosity and she's truly not afraid to try new forms of expression for her work. And um, you'll see that in or you'll hear that in her latest work. She ventures into the world of fashion. And if you're lucky enough to live in Johannesburg, you can inquire about buying some of her illustrations, which uh, she has printed on uh, stretch satin. And you can wear them, frame them or do whatever you like with those uh, with their presentation of those images our conversation this time round centers around the accessibility of art affordability when uh, there are bread and butter issues making art that is a conversation starter and the kind of conversations she wants to be having about her work as well as how black people in general are introduced to art we also discuss what i believe is our common areas of interest uh, women and blackness being an outsider and relationships with women in our lives she talks extensively deeply and fondly about her relationship with her late grandmother i'm your host kukonos kusana richie and my conversation with president honey starts with the question how would you describe your work the way that i would describe my work is that it's definitely been a journey of learning self it feels like it's been like a kind of therapy for me mm-hmm. and also like a place for me to learn to be like confident in myself especially because the style in which i work in it's not common like mm-hmm. if, if you are not familiar with my work and you see it the first time i don't think that you're going to forget it mm-hmm. um and like if you see it again and my name is not on it you'll know that it's mine i'm not good at freehand drawing like this is the thing that i always have to mention because like i i get like requests for drawings and stuff and yeah it's just I, i'm so sorry but like i can't do it like that mm-hmm. um so while i was in varsity i basically would just pass like i would make sure that i have like the bare minimum which was 50% just to make <laughs> So that I don't have to like repeat it, you know, that would be <laughs> right. Came to my final year, they were like, you can draw whatever you want to. And then I thought that I would give myself a chance to do something cool and surprise myself also. So I went and I did some research and like different drawing techniques and styles. And I came across something called pointillism, mm. where it's really you draw um, using dots and you awesome. just like bring mm. this to life using dots. I was like, okay, this looks easy. And I could like draw like dumb things. Like I could just draw like leaves or butterflies, you know, mm. things that mm. are symmetrical and simple in shape, you know, things that a five-year-old can basically copy. Mm. Um, cool. And then at the time, I also was very fascinated by scarification, mm-hmm. um, like in the African context, West African in particular. And so I found a way to merge the pointillism and scarification. And for my final that year in drawing, I submitted this work and they didn't believe that it was me because <laughs> I was not passing that class, you know? Mm. So they're like, hmm, did you do this? I'm just like, of course I did. I would not hand in someone else's work. Mm. Um, and I passed really well. I think I got like a, a 70, 60, 70. So that basically opened me up to me exploring different styles of drawing outside of just like the traditional Sketching live. Sketching and lines. Uh, 
Like, yeah, like it really was a thing that I wasn't good at. And I don't like doing things that I'm not good at. Sure. You know, sure. Um, so yeah, when I discovered this plan, it was really, really amazing for me because I thought I could take this like to many places. Mm. And then I started drawing more and more and more. And I started sharing the work on like Facebook at the time. And it was being received like really, really well. Right. So I thought, okay, cool. This is a thing that I could do. Mm-hmm. But then I don't know what it was, but like something made me to stop illustrating. I just like stopped. Um, I think I wasn't, I wasn't like feeling it as much as I thought I was going to. I thought to myself, oh, this is a thing that you've conquered and you're doing well and people are receiving it well. Okay, now move on to the next thing, you know, instead of develop the style, make it better. I also, yeah, I just felt like really, really stuck. So I let, let go of it. Then I started to pursue a photo project that I worked with. Right. That I worked on with a friend and we did that for like four or five years straight. So it was like an ongoing project called The Honey. Yeah. And I think The Honey was so important for me because it helped me to be able to articulate the kind of work that I want to do. So maybe that was the thing that was missing with the illustrations before is that I didn't feel like I had a story. I didn't like have like a true intention. I was just like drawing for the sake of drawing, you know? Okay. And it didn't yeah. feel like I was really like going anywhere with it. So the honey was very important because that helped me build a character. And in building that character, I was exploring more and more of my blackness as a woman. And that just started to feel more and more important to me the more I was doing it. And it's just like, it became exciting. So we released the work in like different chapters, right? And each chapter was speaking to like a different part of honey, uh, who's the main character, honey's life. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it was based on my upbringing and just my experiences as a black woman growing up in the township and then like also moving out of that space and you know like my family dynamics love life dynamics that type of thing and yeah it was very very important for where I am today because that's where President Honey came from Mm. so So your alias yeah my alias Mm -hmm. Um, a few years before I came up with the name like it was just the honey right and then while we were working on the project uh, 2017 my grandmother passed away and so that was like a really difficult time for me and I didn't know how to express or mourn or like I didn't know how to be in that feeling of loss Mm. basically were you close yeah that was my homie that was like she Mm. was the person that you don't Mm. like my grandmother finds out that you've you've done something to Randani, like it's 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 a big problem for you, mm, basically. Mm. Yeah. Like all of my siblings and my cousins mm. say that I was her favorite. <laughs> and I agree. Cause like I got away with a lot, but also I think it was because she and I were like the same person almost. We got each other, even though we used to like fight quite a bit, but we like we got each other. Um, You're right or yeah. die. <laughs> yeah, it was my homie, man. <laughs> And that was, so I think in 2019, 2018, Winnie Mandela passed away. Mm-hmm. And there was that docu that came out called Winnie. And I watched it. And as I was watching it, I was just like, this lady really resembles my grandmother. Um, in the way that she was, especially like in the community space, you know, she right. reminded Her me presence. a lot. Yeah, of my grandmother. Like my grandmother was the type of person to fight cops. Like you don't right. just... Yeah. Mm. And I felt like Winnie's spirit is like the same as my grandmother's. And I thought to myself that the thing that we are missing truly as people, especially in the context of South Africa, is to be led by women because it's already happening. Right. And so it's happening in so many homes. Like a lot of black households are headed by women. Mm. A lot of black mm. households are run by women in the sense that they are the breadwinner, you know, like 
they do a big bulk of the work of raising the family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're, they're everything, so, basically the heart of the unit. Yeah, definitely. And I felt like my grandmother was my president mm-hmm. in so many ways. Our lives weren't disrupted, even though like there were so many things happening around us that could have been the reason why the household didn't work out properly. But like she didn't let those things interfere with how we were brought up, you know, and I just felt like that's such an elite it's thing. It's quite admirable, me. isn't it? It's top tier, you know, yeah. and yeah. also a difficult role to take, especially if you're not volunteering. A lot mm-hmm. of the time, black women fall into these spaces just because like uh, the man left, for example, right? Or mm-hmm. I don't know, it just has always felt like it's impossible for, I'm not saying that it's absolutely all black women, of course, but it's it feels like it's impossible for black women to not feel responsible for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's where President Honey comes mm. from. And so, like, in relation to my work, I always want to to speak about women, Black women in particular. Women are elite, like, in a way that is not easy to explain sometimes. I feel like I'm still trying to, like, develop and build the language to be able to speak about Black women in a way that doesn't always enforce or speak to suffering, you know. Um, sure. So from a position of empowerment, basically. And the thing that the honey did is that I was deliberately staying away from the negative part of growing up in a township. I was showing the the nice things, like the thing about being ghetto fabulous, you of know, course. and how that's of course. not like a thing to be looked down on, you know? Yeah. And like my work right now, I still don't have the full vocabulary for it, but I feel like it does the job of speaking to and about Black women. Mm-hmm. And also just like showing positive representations, you know, I really just always want to highlight the beauty of black women, the intelligence of black women, like, mm-hmm. and just issues that we are facing, but not always from a place of crying, you know? Absolutely. Cause I, yeah, Because I feel like the world really relies on black women to be sad all the time. Of course. Yeah. And There's a narrative. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a tired narrative. It's yeah. a narrative that I personally, in my life, feel like it doesn't have that much room. You know, like, yes, there are things that are happening to us all the time, but like, and it's bad. Like, I won't lie, South Africa is bad. I'm in danger as soon as I step out of the house, you know, but like, how is it that we're living in a place where things like that are being allowed to just happen? You know, like, there's not enough care for black women so we have to give that care to ourselves and part of giving ourselves that care is also being able to speak to and about ourselves in a positive light you know like mm-hmm. yeah and just going all the time like mm. you're just sad all the time you know mm. the work right now what i'm wanting and trying my best to do with it is for it to be a space for positivity for black women a place where you can like just be mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and what does that look like sure it's such a there are so many layers to it right but i feel like the type i'm going to speak about me in particular like the type of woman that i am inspiring 
to be is one who lives a, a well-rounded and balanced life. I want to be happy. I want to be supported. I want to feel like I am powerful. I want to feel like in my power, I am also supported mm-hmm. and empowered. And I feel like a lot of women are also feeling that way about themselves. You know, like there are more women now, especially like in my age group and a little bit younger. So I'm 30. That yep. group of women has and is doing a good job of like making their lives better for themselves. Like we're doing this thing where we're putting ourselves first. The narrative of Ubegezela is like falling to the ground mm, and it's mm, um yeah. stop that mess. Like I don't have to suffer. Like my existence does not have to be made up of just suffering, you know? Mm. There's like there's so much to explore and to do in the world. And my mom gets shook by me every time because she's like she was born in the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. So the way that she views life and what she's been exposed to is completely different to where I'm at as a person. Mm-hmm. So I can only like empathize with the time and she can only like try to understand what's happening now. And I'm hoping that like the way that I am also gives her the courage to explore herself more mm-hmm. you know as a person because that's what a lot of us are doing right now like we're doing whatever we want to do and we're not allowing tradition to dictate how we live our lives you know how we exist and i think that is a very cool thing to be able to do mm-hmm. you know especially because like there are many instances where it feels like we're free but we're not free simple things like walking out of the house or getting into an uber i can't just like do that and not alert people that hey guys i'm in an uber right now like mm-hmm. just in case you know something sure. happens so mm-hmm. it would be great for us to find ourselves in a space where we are not experiencing those things and i feel like as a person who's a creator it's my responsibility to to be able to like make work that is also accessible and not just like physically physically accessible but physically i mean but but accessible in understanding it right mm-hmm. i've had like many chats with friends about how black people have experienced art for example and it's just like you there are people who don't get why they should buy a print there are people who don't understand why they should like buy this thing frame it put it in your house it makes your house look pretty like but do we have bread do we have this do we have that like do we have clothes you know and so what i'm also trying to do is not make work that makes people people feel like they can't look at it because oh my god she just drew a line what does the line mean like is this you know like (laughs) yeah you know I'm trying to make work that I'm trying to make work that's inviting you know that makes you want to look and ask questions so that if you don't understand there's still like a space to be able to ask questions Mm -hmm. what kind of questions do you get now about your work the one that I've been getting the most is definitely um what has been my inspiration Mm -hmm. and that's difficult one for me to answer because apart from it just being like black women and blackness as a whole and just like my personal experiences as a human being it's also like I'm discovering myself as well through the work so some things are very difficult for me to explain you know because I don't have the vocabulary for them yet and I think people like get that to a certain degree but it's also like oh but you made it you know what you were thinking when you were making it but I don't always feel like I was 
there. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't consciously making the work. I didn't decide that, okay, today I'm going to draw a face that looks like this with hair like this, this color. And that I literally just like see something beautiful that I really, really love. And I just start drawing, you know, I never have like an end result. And I know like a lot of artists and people do this thing where they plan their work. Mm-hmm. So like scamp or whatever i've always found that every time i've tried to do that it felt like i was forcing myself to do something i didn't want to do Mm, so it feels mm. like i'm also working from a place of spirit and especially because mm-hmm. like the work is so intricate, like it's too, and not to say that work that is not intricate is not like moving or like coming from like a different dimension than where you are. But like my work honestly feels like I'm not always a hundred percent myself while I'm making it, you know? Sure. Because yeah, I can't you're moved you, by something else. Yeah. You know, like I can't tell you that, oh, I decided to draw this line because <laughs> I don't like, sure. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just there. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense when I'm looking at it and when I'm making it. This is Shades and Layers. My guest today is Rendani Namakavani, better known as President Honey. One of the things we talked about extensively was how work is presented and how art can be made accessible to the audience you're trying to communicate with. And although still skeptical about NFTs and the blockchain as a vehicle for connection, Rendani is a huge advocate for the use of digital media as a tool for connection. We start with the ways in which she personally connects with her audience, and we get into the details of her latest project, Ghetto Fabulous. In trying to make this work accessible, you know, do you have exhibitions? Do you have a platform on which people can buy your work? How, how are you structured? So I am mostly on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't exhibited this work that I've been doing now, but... And I think it's also because I've been thinking a lot about like, what does accessibility mean? Mm-hmm. Does it mean you just get to see the work on Instagram or I sell you like prints? Because I do sell prints as well. Mm-hmm. And there have been people who have purchased prints, you know, but there are also other people who have been like, yo, the prints are really beautiful, but I can't afford it right now. And let me save up for it. And I think that opened my eyes up to how people want to be a part of something like a movement, right? Hmm. but it needs to also feel like it's for them. Like as much as it's for like the art buyers, like I would be lying if I said that I didn't want black people to own my work because I'm making it for us, you know? Mm -hmm. So it kind of defeats the point of you then cannot access it, especially like in a financial circumstance, Mm -hmm. right? And so the thing that I'm doing now is I have explored different ways to present and distribute the work, which has been in the form of fabric. Nice. I don't know. The thing that I know about black people is that we understand clothes. Mm -hmm. We know swag, we know nice things. So I've decided to basically make babushkas or dukes Mm-hmm. as like a sample to like try out the accessibility thing so obviously they would they would be limited in their editions but they would also cost less than owning a print and also it's more of like functional art exactly. i think that the way yeah. that i am presenting or wanting to present my arts is in a way that is also that serves a function you know And I feel like that's very important. It's very important to like, whoever you are speaking to should be able to meet you in the middle. It's very important to have like common ground with the people that you are selling stuff to, you know. I mean, what Um, kind of conversations would you like to be having 
about your work? I definitely always want to be talking about the work beyond the work. Like, so the thing of like access and how black people understand art and how black people have been introduced to art and how black people like are excluded from the white cube space, you know, Mm -hmm. because there are so many young people who want to be artists and because all they're seeing are like people just drawing on canvases and like selling their things at like 50,000, a million rands for like an artwork, it's, it, it seems unattainable. It seems like unreachable because the places where these artworks are being sold are not in the hood. Mm. Like it's not in a place where there are many young black people who are not exposed to as much art as they should be, you mm-hmm. know? And I feel like you become lucky. Like, I feel like I've been lucky in that I was a weirdo as a kid. I still am as an adult, but it's better now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Please stay weird. (laughs) (laughs) I was definitely like a super weird kid. So my parents like weren't surprised when I was like, hey, I'm going to go do graphic design in varsity. (laughs) I was always drawing. I was always just like doing like the weirdest stuff in the house, you know? Um, So it didn't come as a surprise when I was like, yo guys, me, I want to do graphic design. They were just like, all right, cool. As long as you're going to be like happy with it and you'll find a job and move out of the house at some point, then cool. But some people are not that fortunate. You know, they get parents who are like, oh no, you need to like do the science, do the math, do the accounting, do the law first. And then after you have this thing, then you can like do whatever you want to afterwards. And I think by the time that you get to the end of those really long courses, you are just like, ah, I've been doing this for so long. I might as well just pursue this career that I studied mm, for. Yeah. So you do the art like you wanted to. And I think also like we're not exposed to arts in the best way here in the country. Like we have the subject arts and culture. It's such a weird subject for me because you're not really learning about arts. You know, it's almost like history, but it's fun. And I was lucky because I went to a high school where there was like an art class in particular. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I got exposed to like European artists and some South African artists. So like I had like a, a better foundation than some people do, you know, in terms of exposure. And I think that if it were not for that, I probably would not be where I am right now. Probably Mm. would not be doing art in the way that I am right now because my mind would not have been all that open, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were lucky enough to be exposed to these topics and, you know, different works. So, I mean, what, what would be the ideal way to be introduced to art in your mind? How, how do you see that? Art needs to not be looked at as like a, like a subject that's just for fun, mm-hmm. right? So, like, let's bring out political posters because that stuff counts as art mm-hmm. and design. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how did the ANC come up with their flag? How did the, like, why why does the South African flag look the way that it does? Who designed it? Who chose those colors? Why did they choose those colors? You know, like, I think because, like, we have such a strong political background, it would be cool to start in those places, you know? Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. also then you start the to symbols, introduce... Yeah. Yeah, then you start to introduce like art that exists in the world. Let's talk about General Sikoto. Let's talk about like, you know, all of these old artists that didn't really live in the country, but they were like, they moved for like political reasons. And then they went and they made their art elsewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I think we can always attach 
like we can't run away from history and our history is like really rich but it it feels like the school syllabus like dilutes the artistic part of it all you know or some things just were not considered as being art and when I was a lecturer like I went through the syllabus and I was like this is rubbish I was teaching um graphic design theory and I thought (laughs) this is rubbish yeah it was rubbish it was terrible because what they were teaching the kids was so outdated and we're living in the internet age and so like as a person who's teaching younger people you also need to understand the space that they are in you mm-hmm. know like mm-hmm. what are they doing what are they looking at what are they listening to what are they watching what are they you know like how do their lives function almost in a recreational way so i had two hours for a class and so i'd use the first hour to do like the fundamentals whatever it's going to come up in the exam and then i'd use the second hour to teach them like things that i know um so i introduced right. them to like whole bunch of new artists that they weren't exposed to like i moved them into a space of more pop culture mm-hmm. and without trying to spoon feed them i would just say to them like just go explore guys you know like the things that i'm showing you are cool but there are cooler things in the world you know like you introduce people to websites you introduce people to like just work that you're coming across like share your experiences mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's just like we have for example the department of arts culture and sports why Oof, is art yeah. culture sports that makes no sense for me because the sports will always be the thing that seems like the most important one right yeah um and it's just like it's crazy because like there are so many things that fall into the space of arts there's visual there's sound there's motion like there are so many things you know and i think some people when they think art they just think like paintings fine paintings in a gallery yeah yeah Yeah. and art is such a diverse and a big and a very important thing in the world Mm. and I say important thing in the world. And we've seen this, like last year was mad crazy for all of us, you know, like we were shook to the core because now we're experiencing this new thing all at the same time. But the people that kept people going were artists, Mm. even though like Mm. artists were still in a place of misfortune and losing work and, you know, that type of thing. But like people were making music. Of course, you turned to music, you turned to books. Yes, you turned to film, you turned to like whatever illustrations were being put up on the internet. Like there was... Artists were always making, Mm. you know, and it's really sad that art is not regarded as a tool that could solve world's problems. problems. But yeah, I really, I really wish that like South Africa's school curriculum could take art more seriously. And especially within like black communities, like township schools, you know, Mm, mm, and I suppose mm. for that to happen. We also have to have teachers who are willing to be in those spaces, to teach in those spaces, because I went to a multiracial high school. And I think because of the structure of the school, that was the only reason why I was able to learn art, because they had already had art, yeah. you know, a as a subject. Program, yeah. Before they were multiracial, they were just the white school. Mm. So all the white schools have always had art anyway, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to like the syllabus needs to move with the mm. time mm. foundation phase is the best way to introduce kids to things like art. Mm, yeah. yeah. But what I want to know is, uh, you know, you've got this fabric uh, series that you're going to launch. Is it uh, individual pieces? Uh, do you want to sell to designers? You know, what's what's your big idea behind that project? It's honestly an experiment right now. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that I've 
been thinking about the most is just the process of making it and getting it right and getting the right fabric, making sure that the cuts are correct. And, it's, and I'm making like really simple things right now as a starter. Also because I'm not a fashion person mm-hmm. in the sense of making clothes, right? Mm. So this is a very new thing for me. And I definitely am making like a basic that both men and women can enjoy mm-hmm. in whatever way they want to. Like it's literally just like a square cloth mm-hmm. with art on mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can frame it, you can wear it. Mm. Frame it, wear it, like do whatever you want to with it, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And where are you planning to distribute it? I'm going to promote it on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And for now, yeah, direct sales. So for now, it'll just be like Johannesburg, South Africa based. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we'll just see where it goes from there. Because I definitely Mm -hmm. want to treat it as an experiment, but also like a live project. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I feel like, yo, I feel like I could make such beautiful garments with it. Sure. And also because I I love the idea of rich black people. Mm-hmm. So the way that I made the, the garments as well is that it speaks to that. It speaks to luxury. Mm. Like I'm, I was very intentional with the type of fabric that I went for because like, even when I just look at it now, I just always think, oh my God, this is so luxurious feeling and looking, you know? Mm. And this is something that, like, if someone else was selling it to me, I would feel rich as fuck. <laughs> like, I really would, you know? Because it, it looks that way, right? And I think also just the idea of luxury, especially for Black people, like, what does that mean? So I feel like w- with the fabric i'm moving into a space of interrogating my work from a different perspective you know um and also just interrogating myself as a person and how i feel and think and what my relationship is with money because that's that's like one of the themes in my work you know especially like where women are related and how so i have the series called run me my check <laughs> and it's basically like reimagining what South African money could potentially look like if it had a portrait of a woman on it instead of a man. Like, what does that mean for the country? What does that mean for how money is perceived based on who is on the money? Mm. Uh, Also, who is making the money, you know? So I feel like moving into the fabric space opens up that conversation within myself even more because I really just want to be able to create the access, but also create a feeling of luxury mm, you know mm. um yeah and I, I just really want it to be like affordable especially yeah. for people who kind yeah. of buy the work they haven't been able to so this is like for mm. them mm. you know that but, I uh, can tell find. me about the series uh what do you see on the series so on run me my check i have faces so the first one that i made was of a portrait from the honey Mm-hmm. So it's one for President Honey. And then I made two other ones where I was speaking more to pop culture and like questioning brands. Like if brands could create their own currencies where they were like, yo, you can only buy our stuff with our money. Like what could that possibly look like? Mm. Um, and so like those those ones are like Nike. They speak mostly to Nike, right? But they all have women on them. And the the big thing for me there is the question of why are there no women on money? Why 
why do women get paid the least amount of money, you know, in some job spaces? Like, wh- like mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. the relationship with money the way that it is with women, you know? So can you just touch on, you know, the kind of sacrifices, if you can speak of any, that you've made for your art and um, the balance between, you know, maintaining a life and also just really living uh, the life that you want? Um I think in terms of sacrifices, I have, I had decided at some point in my life that I, I definitely want to be an artist, but I also don't want to struggle while I'm building my career. Right. Mm -hmm. So I decided that I'm going to get into the space of having a nine to five. Mm -hmm. Um, And that for me has been a sacrifice in the sense that like I've been sacrificing time Mm. and it's, it sounds bad it sounds terrible but it's been helpful in the sense that i don't have to worry about my art my artistic work not paying my bills mm. like and there are times where i'll go like because i also freelance right and i also like make this art and i make it for other people as well who would like it and sometimes that's not the best situation because you don't get paid on time you mm. don't get mm. like the project doesn't move at the pace that you were hoping it would you know there are pauses in between and for me that feels like a very stressful thing to experience especially if you're a person who like me doesn't live with their parents anymore um and your responsibilities as an adult just keep like becoming more and more and more. And you just have to like think about how you're going to survive the next day. And so I feel like it's very difficult. And there are artists who have been able to like do it successfully, right? Um, but with people like me who has taken like a long time to to find themselves and their voice in their work, especially, it would not have been sustainable for me to not try to have a nine to five. Mm. It's been like a challenging thing to find the balance between the two, but I always managed to do it. Mm. So yeah, that has that has been the the sacri- the, the biggest sacrifice I think I've made. Mm. Um, what the second part of the question? The fickleness of the art industry and you know finding work that can sustain yeah. you. Mm. Yeah, it's very it's very difficult. I mean, unless you're you're a person who's making music, you know, it feels like music is the most understood and most. It's I don't want to say the easiest, but it's a way in which if you are really good at it, you could go many places, mm. you know, mm. quicker than someone who's a fine artist. Mm. It's almost like as a person who's a visual artist, you have to like jump through so many hoops to get to the one destination you're trying to get to. And that's not even like the end. Mm. You know, um, What's your take so, on NFTs then? Like when I first heard about it, I was very confused. And I was just like, what does this mean for people who are collecting the art and also people who are selling the art? I just I still I still feel like I don't get it so I'm like uncomfortable with it mm-hmm. um, I don't know I just think I need someone to like explain it to me in a very simple way because I've read about it and it's, it's just like in my mind it doesn't make sense what you know? what doesn't make sense for you I just think the whole idea of it because it it doesn't feel like something that could be sustainable as much as there are people who are trying to create like great or other trying to make art more accessible to like the general public and just like people who are interested in art it kind of like takes away like novelty for me the sense of novelty so as much as i believe in accessibility mm. i do still believe like novelty in art you know like yeah it just it feels too flaky right for me mm-hmm. yeah it just feels too flaky mm. and like it disappear at any moment. And then what happens to that so-called investment at the time? Does it still mm-hmm. like work the same way? Mm. 
way or does it evolve into a different thing mm-hmm. um yeah I, I, yeah i feel uneasy about energy I love digital culture, but there are some parts of it that I feel like are not good for us as people. You know, like I think we've become too dependent on the internet for some things. And I, I, I love, and I, I think the internet is great. I've made many friends on the internet and stuff, but it just sometimes feel like feels like you need to have something tangible. Mm, mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. This is the Shades and Layers podcast. It's time to get into Rendani's personal story and find out how she became the person and artist that she is today. What I like most about this trip down memory lane is the way in which she describes the most influential women in her life. And what I realize is that she describe, what she describes is actually feminism in action or feminism in real life. Let's start with uh, memories from her childhood. So the first thing is, uh, what are your top three memories from childhood? Ooh, I remember, especially because now it's cold. <laughs> I remember um, being in my grandmother's house. So she lived in a four room in Shawela, Soweto. Mm, and yeah. like, I think a lot of, if not all black families had these like giant ass stoves with chimneys. <laughs> and, like, yes. like, with a fire in it, you know. And I remember my granny would like start a fire in there and it would just make the house so warm. Like it was so, there was no need for a heater Mm -hmm. basically, you know? Yeah, that was like, yo, that was like the best place for me to experience winter as a person who hates winter. Um, I definitely, I think about like how I was as a child, like being a weirdo was so like difficult for me because I was obviously not fitting into the the children, the various groups of kids, like very well, you know. Um, and I just I kept to myself a lot, I think, also because of those type of experiences where it just felt like connecting with other children was difficult for me. So I would always just end up by myself. But I didn't feel like I was lonely. Hmm. I was like chilled. I was cool, hmm. you know. What made you um, feel like an outsider? What about you made you feel like an outsider? I just wasn't interested in a lot of things that the other kids were always interested in. Right. Like I loved watching TV with my grandmother like my grandmother like knows like she's probably the reason why i'm into soapies the way that i am you know? <laughs> are you an addict <laughs> yeah. oh i love them so much you know <laughs> which uh, one's your favorite right now Komora and the river are my favorites all right okay yeah. um we used to watch them almost religiously you know like we chat about the characters it was as though those people were in our lives for real <laughs> you know like it was as though we knew them i love it um, <laughs> And it was just like, it was nice, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's just like a, a, a feeling of, so I, I always felt very comfortable around my grandmother. Like, like I say, she was my homie, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, um, that's nice. Yeah. So yeah, like she was a very big part of my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I guess my always wanting to be indoors, um, always watching TV, always like in a book or always drawing, always, always doing the thing that kids don't really want to be doing, mm. you know, is what made me feel the great sense of separation from other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were times where we like would get along really well. I was just bad at like the street games, you know, so that always make me an old saver. 
<laughs> I didn't mind, but like I was just like, okay, guys, I really want to be like on a real team this time. Um, but yeah, like mm, mm. yeah, yeah, those are those are really good memories from my childhood. Yeah, yeah. Who were the other have, people in your life? I have two younger siblings. We're mm-hmm. all girls. I'm the eldest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we basically grew up at my grandmother's home and she raised us because my parents were working. Mm, um, mm. Yeah, like we were cool. mostly with my grandmother, you know, yeah. and I have yeah. some cousins as well that I spent some time with. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely grew up around my family. Mm. And those are the people that I felt most comfortable with, even with my like weirdness. It's, I was okay to be weird with them. It didn't feel like, oh, I have to now conform to being this other person that I'm not. Mm. It always felt really good to be around my family. Yeah. And who did you look up to in those days? Who did you want to model your life after? Oh, I don't think I had like a specific role model. Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, not not really. Like, mm. maybe when I think about it now as an adult, I would definitely like if I can have my grandmother's spirit of bravery. I'm good, you know. Um, right. That was amazing to watch. That was really really amazing to watch. And also just, I think I've always just, and I am now. Wanted to be a cool person. Um, cool in the way that I dress. Cool in the way that I just like am in my persona. You know, like I've never felt like I wanted to. And there were many people who I feel were cool. They were obviously mostly like in the art spaces. Mm, um, mm. Yeah. But like, yeah, I don't have like one specific role sure. model. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But what's uh, what's the best advice you received and that you live by today? Sure. Um Someone once said to me, no, I'm lying. Actually, I once watched this podcast, right? Mm. And this this lady was saying, she's a designer. Um, and she was saying that it's unsustainable for you to work in a place where you're not happy. And I, I never forgot that, like ever after I heard it, because it made so much sense. It made so much sense as to like why people are either really good at their jobs or they're really bad at their jobs, mm. you know? I'm a work oriented person. So like a lot of things in my life will revolve around work. Mm. Um, and after she, after I heard it, I, I basically started to take myself more seriously as an artist mm. because it feels unsustainable for me to be working a nine to five forever. Cause I'm just going to keep moving from one job to another, yep. you know, but not really doing my best in those places. Cause my mind is not always there. Like I can show up and do the job, but my mind isn't, always on making that like the most amazing thing in my life the thing that excites me the most about work is my artist work you know um because that's so much more important it's more valuable it feels like i have set better intentions in that space in my life i never forgot that when i heard it and i was just like it's so true it's just also because it can apply to so many things in your life you know it's unsustainable for anyone to be in a place where they constantly feel unhappy you know, fact because like yeah. being happy is essentially being healthy, you know, like you don't want to be having like heart attacks and anxiety attacks and just like all kinds of like attacks in your body because you're not functioning on a, on a positive vibration, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. and I know that it's, it sounds 
somewhat unrealistic to say things like, oh, go after your dreams, like to every single person in the world, you know. Um, but I feel like if you believe in yourself enough and you think that you can do it, which is how I feel about myself, then go for it. Like whatever risk you need to take, take it, you know, like whoever you need to talk to, talk to them. Yeah. Whatever you to do to get to the place where you are as a human being functioning well, do it. Like, and I feel like that's what being an illustrator and an artist does for me is that it keeps me healthy yeah. because I'm happy. I am calm while I'm making. I am I am myself. I am my most authentic and true self while I'm illustrating, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that has definitely been the best advice that I've heard. Mm. Yeah. So if you had to write a memoir, a memoir, <laughs> What would it be called and why? I think I definitely call it President Honey. Um, President Honey is such a, it feels so loaded for me, you know, because of the place where it comes from and where, what it means, what it meant when I first conceptualized it, what it's meant for the past three years to me as a person and also as an evolving artist, you know, um, President Honey, I think would do a good job of telling the story of the kind of person that I have been and the kind of person that I am and also becoming. Um, and I feel like my story is important as a human being. You know, mm-hmm. I yep. feel like it's very important because I speak to so many things that I feel I wish I was exposed to or had known when I was younger or had when I was younger, you know, I wish there was like a time where I could see a beautiful plus size dark skinned black woman in an ad mm. you know, like or just in a photo in a public space in jail where it was OK to be dark skinned. It was OK to be fat. It was OK to be like so many of the things that I have had to over time tell myself that it's OK that you're like this, dude. Like it's OK that you're weird. It's OK that you think the way that you do, you know, like and that being different is Yo, it's so underrated. Yep. You know, it's like group think is the thing that everyone just ends up falling into. Yeah. And it's just so much easier for all of us as a collective to think about some things in the same way rather than like for someone to have a different opinion of it. Mm-hmm. And I think like I'm reaching a point where I am becoming more and more confident in my opinions and in the way that I see and experience things, you know, like it's okay to not be a person who's black, who was raised in a township. Like if that's your reality, then cool. And if it's not, then also cool, you know, like, yeah. So many different ways of being. Yes, there are so many different ways of being and also just being black, you know, like and being African and being like a woman and being a man and being a person who doesn't identify as either of those things. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think we're living in a beautiful time in the sense that like more and more people are expressing themselves and showing themselves as who they really are. So if somebody wanted to enjoy your work, where can they find it? They can find it on Instagram. That's the best place right now. Um, my handle is President Honey. So it's President spelled with no vowels. It's P-R-S-D-N-T. Um, and the word honey. Yeah, like that's that's the best cool. place to, to find the work. Yeah. And that is all from Shades and Layers this time around. Thank you, Rindani, for sharing your story and thoughts so openly. I really, really enjoyed that conversation and hope to catch up with you some other time. Thanks to you also for listening. And if you like what you heard on this episode, please do go ahead and share 
and tell others about it. You can also subscribe to receive automatic updates when new episodes are launched uh, or published on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for your support. And until next time, please do take good care.